Come on. Heavy on the Steelers. Good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Dennis, for praying for the ladies at the ladies' retreat. I talked to my wife this morning. They're having a great time together studying the word of the Lord and uh, worshiping the Lord together. It's just been a, it's been a great time. So glad they could get away. Ladies, if you weren't able to attend this year, we encourage you next year. A couple of additional announcements. Pastor Dennis prayed in relationship to our 40 days of prayer and fasting. 40 days of yes to the Lord. 40 days of yes to the Lord. And that is uh, our journey toward wholeness and holiness. And so if, uh, if you would like a copy of the book by Dr. Robert Loggins, we have more copies of the book that is just a guide for you in your walk through this time of 40 days in prayer and fasting. I talked to a good brother uh, beforehand, said that fasting uh, a meal a day, and I thought, praise the Lord, that's awesome. And spending time with Jesus, that is, that is the vision, that is the mission, that is the goal, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior as we spend intimate time with him. And so I want to encourage you in that. And then I also want to uh, remind you, life groups are kicking up next month, October the first week of October is, uh, the first full week in October is October 6th. And on your seats, you had a list. There are about 12 life groups that are kicking up. And uh, we encourage you to jump on board. If you're not planning to be in a life group, we're encouraging you to change your thoughts and change your heart on that, that you would jump in and be a part of one of our life groups that is forthcoming. If you're looking at this uh, handout and you're thinking, I might need a set of glasses to be able to read that, well... That may have been on purpose so that you'll look intently and uh, you can join one of those groups. Anyway, we're glad that uh, our groups are kicking in again. It is our fall session and we're excited about that. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you just a little bit about me. Uh, first of all, most of you probably know a little bit of my story uh, and uh, I was about 19 years old when I gave my heart to Christ. Prior to my conversion, prior to me being born again, prior to the work of Jesus in my life, I was not a very uh, good person. Maybe you can identify with that. I, I can tell you story after story of just how, uh, how, how poorly a person can make choices in their life. And I was exemplary in that category. I did not make good choices in my life. But the beauty is God's love uh, surpasses all of those things. God's grace surpasses all of those things. And at 19 years old, I gave my heart to Jesus. I, uh, I gave my heart to the Lord in my bedroom by myself. I was reminded of a time when I went to church with my mom at about age 14, and there was an evangelist at this church, Midway City Friends, down in Westminster, California. Small church, wooden pews. There were about 50 or 60 people in there. They had a cute little choir. Uh, there was about eight or, eight or 10 people in the choir. And uh, it, it, was, it was a great Sunday morning. And in that meeting, there was an evangelist, and he preached a gospel message that I was not familiar with. In fact, I remember at 14 years old, I wasn't even very, very much interested in it. But that particular Sunday, he had everybody get on their knees in the aisles to pray. And I remember holding my mom's hand, and I opened my eyes, and I saw my mom weeping, just weeping. And 
I literally did not give much thought at that point, but some five years later, it's as though the Holy Spirit took me back into that room in my mind, and I remembered what was being prayed, and I remembered seeing my mom weeping, and I realized my mom was a prodigal daughter. My grandfather was a Quaker minister, and my mom was seeking to get back to the Lord. And so in my room that night, I confessed my sin, and I asked Christ to come into my life. And I will tell you that it was a dynamic transformation for me. It was a conversion, and it was dynamic. And um, I really did. I, I, I asked my brother where he went to church. He had gotten saved two months earlier. I said, where do you go to church? And he told me, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And I went a Sunday morning and heard Pastor Chuck Smith teaching, and I found out they had Sunday evening service. And uh, I went to the Sunday evening service, and there was an hour and a half Bible study. And it was the most amazing thing for me because the Word of God was being unfolded to me. Literally, for the very first time, I felt as though I was understanding what was in the books of the Bible. And so I got very excited to find out there was a Monday night study, and then a Tuesday night study, and then a Wednesday night study, then a Thursday night study, and then a Friday night. There was a movie and a, and, a, and a message afterward, and then Saturday night was a concert and a message afterwards. And so I, I went to church seven days a week, and it was really eight times because it was twice on Sunday. So it was a conversion, and God was beginning to work in my life. But I realized that that transformation and that movement toward holiness and the movement toward deeper relationship with the Lord was a process. We call it sanctification. I, I had salvation, and then I was moving into this sanctification. Little did I know then that it was going to be a lifetime of transformation. A lifetime of transformation. And I can look back now over 34 years of my life, and I can see the transformation that, has, that God begun way back in that day when I was 19 years old all the way up till today. And transformation's still happening. Can I get an amen? Amen, amen. And I say that to say because today as we're looking at really the resurrection of Lazarus, I believe that there is some correlations for you and I in the text of scripture that we're looking at today. But before we get to that, I have um, with me today uh, a seven-page study and this is a fascinating study. How many of you like uh, scientific literature? Raise your hand if you're with me. Okay, there's about 12 of us. Great. No, maybe more than that, maybe 15 for all of us geek types, right? And uh, I, I love, I read science journals, and I read all kinds of information uh, about uh, things like mathematics, things like, uh, I actually really love linguistics too because I think there's some very interesting correlations. This particular study that I read this week was on why when a man or a woman carries a cup of coffee, that coffee will spill. Yeah, I know, it's kind of a crazy study to read, right? And uh, it's seven pages. And there's, there's some really fascinating stuff in here, like about motion and the science of motion. The science of motion of walking and the undulating rhythmic motion. They actually have uh, mathematical calculations to make estimates, and it's based on all types of body types as well. And so, I mean, you know, it, it, it can have an impact on what's happening. And so, then, then I, it, it, it crossed over into the science of oscillating liquids. Now, how many of you know that's an interesting study? <laughs> the oscillation of liquids. And, and it even went into 
the science of oscillating liquids in a variety of different shapes and sizes of cups, if you will, mugs, ones with handles, one without, and all of that stuff. And they came up with this great matrix of why coffee spills when a man or a woman is walking with their coffee cup. Are you ready for the conclusion? <laughs> Buy a lid. No, <laughs> the conclusion is simply this. The reason that coffee spills from a cup carried by a man or a woman is because that is what is in the cup. What is in the cup is what will spill out when in motion and moving. I say that to say I've noticed in my life and in this process of sanctification, in the journey of my life and the circumstances that come up that cause me to come out or what's in this cup will come out in the midst of the circumstances. And so there's an opportunity for you and I. I would love that when I get into a crisis mode that the only thing that came out of this guy would be something about coffee. Unfortunately, in the moments of stress, in the moments of difficulty, in the moments of triumph, and in the moments of whatever may come my way in any given day, and how many of you know we will face a tremendous amount of occurrences in a day. Trials, tribulation, heartache, persecution, triumph, victory, win. What comes out of the cup is what's in the cup. And that is the opportunity. And as we look at this morning's portion of scripture, it's a fascinating portion of scripture. And we're going to be looking at the resurrection of Lazarus. And so what I would like to do this morning is I would like to read the first 37 or so verses really to just set the stage, to set the stage. And it's, it's a lot of reading, and I'll do some commentating along the way because there's some interesting things to note. And as I'm, as I'm referencing some things to note, I would encourage you to write some of those down because they're worth our endeavor, they're worth our study, they're worth your efforts in being a student of God's Word to dig a little deeper and look into some of these things because they're subject matters. There's deep theology within this text. And so we'll get to that in just a moment. But will you follow along with me as we read? I'm in the New King James Version. And uh, like I said, I'm going to commentate, so we'll navigate. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha, Lazarus of Bethany. Lazarus is the Greek translation or the Greek of the name El Azar or Eleazar as we would pronounce. El Azar. Bethany is properly understood and defined as the house of affliction. It's very interesting. I think it's thematic. El Azar in Hebrew is God has helped. God has helped in the house of affliction. And I want us to recognize this theme because it is also our theme. God is my help in the time of my affliction. Can everybody say amen to that? 
Lazarus of Bethany, Dave of his affliction. Does that make sense? God is my help in the time of my affliction. So, certain man was sick. He's in affliction. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose, bro whose brother, excuse me, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Incidentally, this word sick here in the Greek translation literally would tell us that he is sick unto death or sick and descending, sick and receding. He is getting worse in his sickness. Therefore, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. He delayed his arrival. He stayed where he was. Where was he? If you have a study Bible, you'll have a little letter or a number next to where he was or where he stayed. It'll refer you back to John chapter 10 and verse 40. And in John chapter 10 and verse 40, it tells us where he was, where John had been baptizing in the beginning. In fact, where Jesus himself was baptized. It is at the Jordan River in a place called Beth Bethabara. Bethabara, interestingly enough, is called the house of passages. That will be significant, and you can do your own study on this, but it really does relate to all the way back to when Joshua and the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan River. You would remember the story. They first were in Egypt, right? Abraham and his family went into Egypt, and, excuse me, uh, Isaac and Jacob went in with Joseph into, uh, into Egypt. They went in as a family. They came out as a nation. They came out as a nation and they came to the Red Sea and they crossed the Red Sea. Egypt would be a type of life before Christ when I was walking around as a dead man. I come to the Red Sea. I cross through the Red Sea. It's that type of becoming born again. Then they wandered in the wilderness for some 40 plus years. That's kind of like sanctification. Can you identify with that? Sometimes it feels like I'm not making any progress. I'm walking through the wilderness. I'm not overcoming. I have sin that so easily besets. As Pastor Dennis was praying, if you've had some stuff that have occurred even this week, thanks be to God, we can approach the throne of grace and we can clear the slate, so to speak. Then they come to the Jordan River and the crossing of the Jordan River is like moving into the resurrection living. Can I get an amen? Resurrection living. And that's really, I believe, where God intends for you and I to be living where we will walk in victory, victory over sin. And so, that Bethabara, and this is where Jesus was, and he remains some two additional days. Then after, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. Are you going there again? Literally, it means just recently they tried to stone you. You're going back? Are you kidding me? You should be fearful of your life. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? 
If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if he walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus is saying, it's time. There's time and we must do the work. We must not let fear stand in the way of our mission, our purpose, and our vision, what God wants us to do. And I would say there's a, there's a theme there for you and I. We ought not let fear get in the way of the vision and the plan and the mission that God has for us on an individual basis as well as the body of Christ in the church. We must accomplish and we must work while it is yet day and not let fear cause us to be derailed. He said these things and said, after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go to wake him. Interesting use of the word sleeps here. Sleeps, it's a common term used in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, it is only used of believers. And of course, he's referring to the death of Lazarus, and so we go further. He says, then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. I just, a little note, side note, how did Jesus know Lazarus was dead? How did he know that, right? Okay, he's God, but he's fully man, right? And so I believe there's, and again, this is just a little bit for you, and you can dig in a little further, but you know that John later tells us in this gospel that the Spirit, when the Spirit comes, he is the Spirit who will lead us into all truth. He will not speak on his own accord, uh, but he'll speak those things that he has heard. And then then it says, and he will show you things to come. He will show you things to come. I believe that the Spirit of God, we can have an intimacy with God where the Spirit of God will reveal to us things that are future occurrences and give us information in advance and so that we can walk in these things. And so I just want to encourage you in that, in that regard. He says, I'm glad for your sakes. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, and said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Again, the subject matter of death. Hey, they just were trying to stone you. Lazarus is, now you're telling us Lazarus is dead. Well, okay, hey, let's all go, and uh, we can all die together. And so, in, in a way, I really love Thomas, right? We call him Doubting Thomas. We, get, we probably have others called him the twin, but he's Doubting Thomas, right? But I love Thomas because Thomas is like, we're not going to let fear get in the way. Let's go. Let's go. And I like that. It's ambitious. I believe it is uh, faith-filled, and I believe that it is destiny-oriented. And I think those are all things that you and I can learn from. Does that make sense? Let's, let's go. There's a mission and a vision. Let's not let anything get in our way, albeit let's not let death hinder us. Let's move forward. Okay, I keep commentating. It's going to be exciting. We're going to get to some resurrection living here in a moment. All right, he says this. Let us, die. let us go that we may die with him. Verse 17. So Jesus came and found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews Join the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. And Mary was still sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Great faith, great faith. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is come into the world. And Jesus, when he had said these things, when she had said these things, she went her way and certainly, uh, excuse me, secretly called Mary her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose quickly and went out, following, or followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came to Jesus, or where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let me stop there for just a moment. Uh, something about Mary that I have a deep appreciation for. It seems as though every time we find Mary in the presence of Jesus, she is always at the feet of Jesus. She's always at the feet of Jesus. Whether at that moment he was prophet, priest, or king, she is at his feet. And I just want you to know, I believe that's a great posture for you and I, to always be at the feet of Jesus. No matter the circumstance, no matter what is going on, no matter what has come our way, to be at the feet of Jesus. Great posture. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Let me stop here for just a moment again. It seems as though the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when he was putting together the gospel that we call according to John, that there were some seven miracles that seemed to form the whole first half of the book. These first 11 chapters, seven miracles leading up to the resurrection of the dead. A picture and a type as well as a witness to those who were seeing what was being done, and for those who would read about what was being done, that ultimately we would believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's Messiah. He is the Son of God. That we would make that declaration as Martha did. I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you have come into the world to raise dead people. And so, seven miracles now, also seven I am statements are constructed. We've, we've come up, this is the fifth one we've seen. I am the resurrection and the life. We'll see later in chapter 14 where he'll say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then in 15 where he says, I am the true vine. And so these statements, seven each, 
seem to be forming and we are coming now to the crescendo. This man called Jesus, he is the one who is able to raise the dead to life. Thanks be to God. And I believe that Lazarus and in this text and in this narrative and in this story, there is a picture for you and I. There's a picture. Lazarus is like you and me. Lazarus is like all mankind. Lazarus was a dead man. He's dead. Physically dead. And in the grave. His body is in the grave. A subject matter that would be worth further study is life after death. Interestingly enough, most people think about what comes after death when there is a death in a family or a death of a friend. They immediately go to, well, he must be in a better place. He must be in a better place. Those who are in the family of God, the scripture says, we do not mourn like those who have no hope, for because of hope there is life, and we know where we go. But for many, they do not know. And so a further study, and I would encourage this uh, for you, that you would know what happens immediately when someone transitions from this life to the next. You see, I had a conversation with someone just last week. On a Saturday evening, last Saturday night, eight days ago, I had a conversation with a man who had zero religion. I said, well, you may have zero religion, but you have a measure of faith. And he says, well, I don't believe in the afterlife. And I said, well, you will. <laughs> We're getting coffee in a couple of weeks, and it's very exciting. But I want you to know something. There's a lot of people who don't know about the afterlife. And so it's an opportunity for you and I to have conversation when we've done our study about heaven and hell, the grave, Sheol, and Hades, and other spaces and places like the Abuso, the bottomless pit, or Tartarus, spaces and places that are referenced in the scripture, a place called paradise, Abraham's bosom, all theological and deep and necessary for you and I as followers of Christ to understand so that we can also share with people about the hope that we have that is in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. But we can't take time this morning because we got to get to the sermon here. Here we go. All right. Chapter 11, verse 38. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Then Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place. Now let me stop here for a moment. Again, Lazarus, four conditions. The first is Lazarus was dead. It is likened to those who have yet to respond to the gospel of Jesus. You're here this morning, and either A, you have faith in Christ, or B, you do not. The Bible tells us that we are dead in our, our transgressions and sin. We are dead in our trans uh, transgressions and sin. Jesus is the one that has come to give life, and life to the full, the abundant life. And so it is 
only through relationship. Acts chapter 4 tells us there is no name given under heaven and earth whereby man must be saved, saving Jesus Christ. Jesus is salvation. Jesus is our salvation. He's Lord and Savior. And so all men are dead in their trespasses and sin. And we all have a common destiny. And that destiny is separation from God unless a man be born again. Unless a man be born again. And so here we, here we go a little further and it says they removed the stone from its place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I say this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. Now Dennis, I love that we sang, and I will rise when he calls my name. Just this morning, I will rise when he calls my name. It's interesting, he didn't just say come forth. Some commentators say the reason he didn't just say come forth is because they would have all come forth that were in the grave. So he said, Lazarus, come forth. Because he is the resurrection and the life. And so he calls him forth. Verse 44. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes on and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Lazarus was a dead man. Then he came out of the tomb when he was called, and he was wrapped head to toe. His feet, his hands, and his head were wrapped. I liken this to my story that I told at the opening of the message this morning. I, I was born again. I was raised to life, and I got really excited about the things of the Lord, but there was a binding in my life to my former way of living. I was still wearing grave clothes, and I was bound by some former way of living. My hands... The things that I did, I had muscle memory and I wanted to go back and do them again. My feet where I would go. There were places that I had formerly gone that weren't becoming of a follower of Christ. But muscle memory and temptation, I tended to go back to those places. Thanks be to God, over time I gained victory. My eyes, I wanted to look at things that I used to look at. My mind, I wanted to think about things the way I used to think. I was living a defeated Christian life. On the outside, it looked like, well, man, he's a really spiritual guy. He goes to church seven days a week and six days a week, twice on Sunday. Seems like everything is going right, but privately, not everything was going right. I was bound by grave clothes. You know, the scripture tells us to put off the old garments and put on the new garments. That's the process of sanctification. 
Sometimes we want to live in our old clothes because they're comfortable. How many of you know what it's like to come home from a busy day at work and the only thing you want to do is pull out those old pajamas. You pull out the old pajamas, maybe the old sweatshirt. You slip on that old sweatshirt. I have a sweatshirt. Are you ready for this? From Clackamas High School when I first, the very first year I coached. I still have that hoodie. That hoodie is worn so thin that literally it's frayed on both arms. Elbows are worn through. It has holes in it. But I will tell you when it's been a rough day, there's nothing like coming home and slipping on my shorts and putting on that old hoodie and just settling into the couch and becoming part of the couch. (laughs) There's just a comfort place in that. And I think in so many times in our lives that our tendency when we go through difficult times is to go back to what our default is and what's comfortable and familiar. In our thinking, we'll go back to thinking the way we used to think because it's a familiar rut in the road, right? Uh, when I was in Europe recently, uh, we went through, we went through uh, in Naples and we went to Pompeii. And in Pompeii and in the streets of Pompeii, stone streets, but you could see in the stone, in the streets, the ruts from the wagon wheels and from the chariot wheels, worn in over time. You've heard of the Romans' roads, right? Well, there's ruts in the roads. And here's an interesting fact. Do you know that the standard gauge for U.S. trains in America, the U.S. trains in America, the standard gauge for the rails and the distance from the high point on each rails is 4 feet 11 and a half inches. Well, that is a crazy standard. Why would they do something like that? Well, the guys who made the rails are the guys who made the wagon wheels. And so they use the same tools. And the guys who made the wagon wheels, they're the guys who came over from Europe. And the guys in Europe who were making the wagons and the chariots, they got those from the Romans who made the chariots. And so the question is, why would they do that? Because every time they did a different standard, The wagon wheels, would one would pop in a rut, one would be out of a rut, and it would snap the axle. And the crazy part is what determined the width from the high point to the high point and the wagon wheel is the butts of two horses in the distance. (laughs) How crazy is that? And yet we get stuck in a rut, and so often in our minds and in our actions we get into a rut. Grave clothes. Grave clothes. God does not intend for you and I to live like we once lived. He has resurrection living for us. Can I get an amen? It's rising above and it's really taking off the old clothes and putting on the new garments that Christ provides for us, that we can walk in the newness of life that he has supplied and provided for us. Resurrection living. And so we come to the next statement that Jesus makes. He's bound hand and foot, and face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. He was a dead man. He was a defeated man. But now he's going to become a dangerous man. And here's what I want you to see again. Remember, Lazarus is the Greek of the Hebrew, El Azar, God has helped, or my God is my help. My God is my help. That's the title of even today's message. My God is my help. And God here says, loose him and let him go. Jesus has come to free you from your grave clothes. 
Can I get an amen? He is the one who is able to empower us to be loosed and set free. And here's what I love about this. When it says that he spoke to them, who was he talking to? He's talking to Lazarus' friends and all who have come to mourn. Now, you got to imagine for a moment, they are just like, I mean, we just laid him in the grave four days ago. The day he died, we buried him. He's in there. He's supposed to stink. Incidentally, you, as a born-again believer, in your old grave clothes, you stink. Right? I mean, when we do the old actions, like when I was over here and I was talking about the coffee cup, and I said, oh, I just wish every time I was under pressure and under stress that what came out of me was just coffee talk. How many of you know that's not the truth? You should have seen me trying to tape windows yesterday. By the way, Gary, we got a little bit of the work done on, my, on, the, on the room. Ladies are at ladies' retreat. I decided to t- take on a monumental task and remodel our master bedroom. It was monumental, I got to tell you. It's amazing how much stuff you can accumulate in your bedroom over 32 years of marriage. <laughs> that all had to come out. We've gutted it, and uh, we, it, it was just like over the top. You should have seen this guy last night at about 8.30 trying to tape the windows. I had to slip my hand up behind the bracket that held the, the, the shade for the window and try and get this blue tape up there to get this plastic so it would cover perfect so I could go in and spray. Coffee did not come out of my mouth. Are you with me? I'm just being real with you, Right? You know what it's like when you're under pressure in a time constraint. What came out of the coffee was an old garment. What came out of the coffee? (laughs) What came out of the guy? What came out of the cup was some of the old man. It was my grave clothes. It was a familiar rut. And I slipped into it. And I know, because I've been with some of you, but I know that that's not an unusual occurrence in your life and in my life. But I know that that's not what's supposed to be working in me. And there's still a lot of Dave in the cup. And I want to get the Dave stuff out so I can get the Jesus stuff in. Can I, get, can I get an amen? I need some more resurrection Christ living in me so that what comes out is blessing and not cursing. What comes out is blessing, not strife. So, Lord, or take, get, get the clothes off him. And he's speaking to them. Listen, in this walk, in this life, God uses ordinary people in the lives of ordinary people who are born again to help transformation, to help sanctification. If you know a brother who is struggling in sin, Go to your brother and instruct your brother that he may be set free from the sin. Can I get an amen? Amen. We need each other and we need to have transparency because remember in my public life what I was portraying, it was portraying one thing, but what was really happening in a private life was not synonymous and there was hidden sin. Right? I mean, and I'm not talking gross sin. I'm talking about driving down the freeway. Some cat cuts me off, and I have a couple of expletives for him, and I have a couple of sign languages that I want to share with him. 
right? I mean, just anger, right? That can be hidden because I was in my car alone. The Bible tells us the man who seeks isolation rages against all sound wisdom, all wise counsel, all sound wisdom. Defeated, and God's saying, help get the clothes off. Unwrap that cat. And we need some unwrapping. We need God to help us. So if you're struggling in an area that you know it's old clothing in your life, you're in a great place because you're amongst people who are also in the same state, in the same condition. And we can help each other. Amen? Amen. How many of us need help? Just everybody raise your hand because we all need each other. We all need each other. And so this is our opportunity and this is the reality and so we can learn this lesson from Lazarus. Here's, here's the scenario. Resurrected living Man, I no longer have to think about the way I used to think, right? Where the word of God gets choked out. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, all that stuff can go as there's transformation in my life. Those misguided attitudes. Anybody have a misguided attitude? Anybody have a misguided appetite? Anybody here have, I mean, you could just fill in the blank, right? Misguided, misguided, misguided. God helps and he can supplant all of those things as we work together. As iron sharpening iron, so one man sharpens another. We can help each other grow and we can become dangerous men. Here's an amazing reality. Lazarus became a dangerous man. He's resurrected and he's got his grave clothes off. Now he can see. Now he can talk. And now he can testify. Testify. Listen, he's so dangerous that now the Jews are not only plotting to kill Jesus, but John chapter 12 verse 10 tells us that now they're plotting to get rid of Lazarus also because he's now dangerous. Dangerous. Because he can testify about what Christ has done for him. And he's loosed of those grave clothes. What about you today? What about you? Are you dangerous? Because you can testify of how Christ has helped you get rid of the old grave clothes, has brought life where there was no life. Are you living dangerously? Dangerously. Here's the, here's the beauty. Four conditions I said. We were once dead men. Perhaps you're here and you were defeated or perhaps you're here and you're living defeated. Thirdly, dangerous. Loosed from the grave clothes, alive and able to testify to Jesus. Are you a dangerous man? But here's the, here's, here's the last one. And this is beautiful and we don't get to it until chapter 12. But in chapter 12, and you can look ahead, I don't have it on the screen, but chapter 12 says... Six days later, the Passover, before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they met him, or they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. You can become a dining man. A dining man, and I'm not just talking about butter and salt. I'm talking about 
dining with your king. Dining with the Lord. Somebody asked the difference between a dangerous dining man and the defeated man. And I think it's the sin that so easily besets us. Right? The scripture even says in Psalm 66 verse 18, if we regard iniquity in our heart, he doesn't hear our prayers. Sometimes we wonder, God, why are you hearing my prayers? Is it possible that there might be sin in your life that he's already revealed to you through conviction and you're just regarding it in your heart and you're living with the old grave clothes? Here's the remedy. Get rid of the grave clothes. Put off the old, put on the new, and watch what happens because the dining He says, if anyone will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. If anyone hears me knocking, right? Well, God's knocking at our doors. And it's our opportunity to invite him into that sup relationship, that nearness. And it feels like, and it seems like, like I see in the story of Lazarus, when the old grave clothes are removed, I love that he can now see I I believe he can now think clearly. The grave clothes have been removed from his head. He can think clearly. Can you think clearly? Are you clouded with the wrong thoughts? Are you crowded with uh, your vision? Maybe, Maybe the scripture says where there is no vision, what? The people cast off restraint. Restraint is like boundaries, right? Proverbs tells us, like a city whose walls are broken down is like a man who lacks self-control. No restraint. Where there's no vision. You get the dead grave clothes off, you get the hat cover removed, now you can have clarity for vision. God has a vision and a purpose and a mission for your life. And we can discover that in resurrection living. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, let's move into that dangerous dining zone and spend intimacy with the Lord. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up at this time and I I want to just close with these thoughts. If you're here today and you are, if you have struggles, if you have things going on in your life, The Bible says confess your sins one to another, confess your faults one to another, and pray for each other that you may be healed. I believe there's a remedy in that. And the the confession pieces, depending on the nature of what you're talking about, would depend upon where you go with it. But you find someone of confidence, you find someone who's close, you find someone who will pray, and you find someone who will hold you accountable. And the accountability piece is just to encourage you, right? Everybody understand accountability? It's to encourage one another to make right choices. I can tell you right now, in my life, I've not been very accountable in my diet. But I've made some changes in my life, and I now have someone coaching. And he happens to be here this morning. So I appreciate you, Pastor George. It's good to have you here, and Ann. And listen, there's an accountability that goes with that. I get a phone call regularly, and it's so helpful. So helpful. I can tell you right now, from two weeks ago, I'm down 22 pounds. Come on. I I got rid of some grave clothes. (laughs) And I can get rid of some clothes in my closet. That's a good thing. 
But here's the deal. It may not be, it may not be just a disobedience in that area. It might be something much larger. I just want you to know this is a safe place where the family of God is, where we gather because we are like-minded people with like-minded stuff. And we can share with one another, hold one another accountable, and help each other move into resurrection living. Can I get an amen? Will you stand with me this morning? If that's you, will you purpose in your heart to make calls this week? Will you purpose in your heart to connect with someone? Will you purpose in your heart to listen to the Holy Spirit and to follow through? I'm gonna invite uh, somebody back at the sound booth. Would you just dim the lights? We're gonna close with this worship song this morning. If you, if you would like to pray with someone, we'll have a couple of our prayer team up in the front right here on my right-hand side. The prayer team will be up front. In fact, I'll invite them to come. Uh, Chuck, would you come? Uh, Vic, Vicky, would you come also? And Tim. And uh, a number of our prayer team had to leave this morning and some are at the ladies' retreat. But come and pray with someone. Be encouraged. And let's move into that dangerous and dining relationship with our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Pastor Dennis is to lead us in this song and then close us in a word of prayer. Pastor Dennis. Thank you, Lord God. May we be out of our grave clothes. So bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never.